Our Old Testament lesson this morning is from Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 14, which can be found on page 1154 in your pew Bibles. And Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 14, is actually the entire chapter of Isaiah 58. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word which you have given to us. Lord, you have not given us your word uh, to confuse us, but you have given us your word uh, in order to reveal who you are and who we are in light of you. God, uh, you have given us your word to reveal uh, yourself, your character, uh, your plans, and your desire for relationship with us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to receive your word this way. Lord, to, um, to hear what you have said. I pray that you would give us understanding and that you would uh, give us a desire to follow what you have said and who you are with everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 58. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide, for the, provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here, I, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your fame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, Then you will find your joy in the Lord. 
and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Turning into Ephesians chapter 6. We get the very end of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And after everything else that he has said about uh, who Jesus is and what he has done for us and why, and who then uh, we are to become as a result, he ends it this way. This is Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I, how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we are in um, kind of mid-November at this point. We are having our Thanksgiving lunch today after the service. And, uh, and so I don't know about you, but when we are into November and Thanksgiving is approaching, not that you'd know it by all the Christmas advertising already, but we're still in the season of Thanksgiving. Uh, for me, that it is a time that is helpful in remembering uh, and reflecting on all the things that we do have to be thankful for. And, uh, you know, we're told to give thanks in all circumstances, and yet, how often do we not? And so this is a good time to uh, keep that in mind. And I want to tell you, if you know, if we're to go around the room and ask everybody, what are you thankful for right now? We'd have a lot of answers, I hope, and a lot of different ones. I'm, we don't have time for that, so I'm just going to tell you mine, and we'll just have to go from there. And uh, especially over the course of this past week, as I've been reflecting on this passage in John we're getting ready to look at, I have been particularly thankful for vision, just for eyesight in general. And it's one of those things that I think, I don't know about you, it's something I take for granted way too much. And when you start considering uh, what a complicated thing eyesight is, it's bizarre that we have it at all. And when you also consider it's not necessary for life. I mean, there are people who have been born blind and live out their entire lives and can live full lives without ever having seen anything. It's not necessary for life. So you go, then why do we have it? <laughs> it's, that's just a, a gift above and beyond that which is necessary even to sustain life. And then I start thinking about, okay, well, what would, I almost say, what would this world look like? But What would we even say if you don't have sight words? <laughs> uh, what would this world be like if we didn't have eyes to see? 
You think about all the things that we do on a regular basis that are vision uh, dependent in some way or another. We certainly wouldn't drive like we do now. That would not be possible. Reading also not wouldn't be the same thing. Watching television or movies or things online, all of these things that are uh, fairly common all kind of take eyesight and vision for granted. So what I'm putting out there today is maybe we shouldn't be taking it for granted, that this is something that we should also be uh, quite thankful for, this gift of vision. And that is just one of the things that our bodies do all the time that we don't give thought to until until it starts not working. You notice that? We pay a lot of attention to the parts that aren't working, and I'm saying maybe this is a good time and month to start thinking through all the things that are working and be thankful uh, for those. The reason I bring up vision is it requires a couple things couple things for uh, vision to work. And as I mentioned, you know, it's a very complicated thing by the time you get to the eye itself, and I'm not going to explain all that because I can't. And uh, <laughs> I know this, it's complicated. And uh, so that you have to have everything working in the eye, and that's a lot of stuff, and then the connection from the eye to the brain, and all, like, all of these things have to be working well in order for you to see. But even having a working eye is not enough because you also have to have light. And if there is no light, there is no vision, even if your eye is working properly. There's one more thing, and maybe we'll get to that later. For now, let's take a look at... Um, John, chapter 8, and this is verses 12 through 20. I'm going to read it or talk about it. Um, John, chapter 8, starting in verse 12. This is a conversation between Jesus and some Pharisees, and this takes place in the temple courts. Starting in verse 12. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true. Because I am not alone, I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one sees him because his hour had not yet come. So here we have an interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. And uh, one of the things just right off the top that's going on here is uh, Jesus is making a huge claim. When he says... I am the light of the world. That's kind of big. 
And uh, there's a bit of debate among scholars as to whether John intends us to understand that this took place during the festival of tabernacles or after everybody had kind of gone home, but it's still there in the temple courts. And, uh, and it could be either. Uh, if, but basically, if it happens during the Feast of Tabernacles, then John has just kind of written it out of order chronologically. She can do that. That's fine. Uh, but it's also entirely possible this takes place just after the festival has ended. People have started going home, but there's still you know, plenty of people around. It's Jerusalem and it's the temple after all. But here's why it, why it relates to that uh, feast at all and why that matters, is uh, that you know that in the temple, there is kind of the outer courts, and then as you kind of go in, you get more and more restricted as to who can be there, and you get to the kind of holy place. It's in uh, the enclosed structure, and then inside of there, you have like the holy of holy, and only the, the high priest can go there, and only once a year. Outside of that, though, there is a... Uh, space that's also enclosed, and in that space, only priests could go there. Only certain uh, people could be in there, and only for particular activities, and that is all. But in there, you have a lampstand with seven lights, and those lights are to always be burning. All right. There's that. You go inside the Holy of Holies, and there is no lampstand. There is no fire light source at all on the one hand. On the other hand, the idea is that it's the glory of the Lord himself that gives light. And there are scriptures, Old and New Testament, that point to this. Um, We'll go to one right now. This is Isaiah, just after what we read in Isaiah 58. In Isaiah 60, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And then a few verses later, in Isaiah 60, starting in 19, it says, The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again and your moon will, never, will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will end. The idea is God is the light. Um, and so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, this is one of the uh, seven I am statements that John records for us from the lips of Jesus. That as he's going about healing and teaching and doing all these things, there are seven times that he has these statements of, I am such and such. Let's have another time where he just says, I am, and that's it. But we've already seen a few of these where I am the bread of life, right? Uh, things like that. This time it is, I, and I am the living water. This time it is, I am the light of the world. And I want to help us make a few connections here and then bring it home. One is, we talk about with God being the light. Here's another. Um, in the Exodus story, we have, you know, he's already said he's the, the bread of life. He's already said he's the living water. 
if you follow the Exodus story and you're following the people who come out of uh, slavery in Egypt and now they're on their way to the promised land, God is providing for them and he provides bread and he provides water when there isn't bread and there isn't water around. But he provides what is needed uh, to sustain them on this journey. And then Jesus takes those same things and says, I'm the true bread. I am the living water. Um, you know, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and they died, but to me. So when we look at him saying, I'm the light of life, does this have anything to do, or I'm the light of the world, does this have anything to do with the Exodus story? You can answer, it's okay. Of course it does. Um, in Exodus chapter 13, this is when they're very, very first coming out of uh, slavery in Egypt. They have not yet even gone across the Red Sea. And it says, uh, Exodus 13, starting verse 20, after leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So when thinking about this same uh, people group and the journey they were making out of Egypt, before they ever get to the bread, before they ever get to the water, let there be light. (laughs) God provides a light for them and leads them on their way. And as you follow that story, you see how important it is that they follow where he leads. And now Jesus, uh, same kind of idea in mind, says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Making these connections, starting to become clear. Uh, There's more to it than just this. The Israelites were the ones who were coming out of Egypt and who were following this pillar of cloud and of fire. It was the Israelites who were provided the uh, bread in the wilderness, the Israelites who were provided the water on this journey. Let's go back to Isaiah again. In Isaiah chapter 49... Isaiah chapter 49, starting verse 5, says, And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and, God, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. We talked about the lights that were always burning in the inner part of the temple. But, and this is where the Feast of Tabernacles comes into play, in the outer courts, in the court uh, of women, they could go. This was how the, one of the traditions that came up as a part of the starting of that particular festival is there were four great lights that the women would come in and light to begin this festival. And they would stay burning throughout the festival. 
outside the holy place. Four is a number often associated with just the world. And so here we have not the seven lights in the holy place, but we have the four lights for all the world that are out in a more public area and that give light throughout the festival to everyone, whether you're in the temple or not, that these uh, give light throughout the city. This is where Jesus is standing when he says this. When it says at the end uh, that he is, he spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Well, why does John tell us exactly where he's standing? <laughs> because this is the area where these lights would be. So whether it was you know, during the festival while these lights are still burning or whether it's just after the festival where they're still there and everybody's like, oh, well, the lights are out for another year. And he's like, I am the light of the world. Not just of Israel, of the world. I am the light of the world. This is a huge claim. And that's where I just want us to make those connections up front. If you, if you want to really see a lot of connection, just go through your whole Bible and just look for anything related to light. Contrast of light and darkness, light and shadow, all those sorts of things. It's everywhere. And when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, it's like what we were looking at with the um, children's sermon of all those pictures of... Uh, which one is it going to This one. The pictures where you have the shadows that look one way. And then you see the reality is something else. And as Paul tells us in Colossians that all of the Old Testament had been shadows, but Jesus is the reality. And what we have in this conversation with the Pharisees is Jesus is saying, I am the reality to which all these shadows we're pointing. Now that you see that I'm the real deal, you can look back at all of that and go, oh yeah, that makes sense. I see how that, I get it, I get it, how that all connects. But what they were doing, is what I was saying to the kids, is insisting that their interpretation of the shadow was right, even though the real thing was standing right there in front of them. And so they're like, no, 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 I already have this thing figured out. And I didn't figure it looked like you. Therefore, you must be wrong. <laughs> really? Um, and so that's the way this conversation then goes. It is, uh, he has made this big claim, and now they're going to object to it and say, that's not it. Then he responds. They object again. And he responds one final time. Uh, the way that they respond is just by saying, look, you can't be your own witness. That's not how it works in court. You, because I said so works if you're the parent. It doesn't work if you're the defendant. You know? <laughs> I didn't do it. Well, how do we know? Well, because I said I didn't do it. Well, that's not good enough. And that's what they're saying, is you can't be your own witness. You're going to be biased. Uh, and so Jesus says, well, look, first of all, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the idea. He says, if I... Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. Jesus knows his origin. He knows his destiny. He knows uh, where he came from, where he's going. They don't know that. All they're looking at is uh, kind of the, the shadows. 
and not the reality. And he says, you know, you judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. And this is then what brings up um, his defense according to the Old Testament even. And he says, look, it's in your own law that it says that the testimony of two witnesses is true. In other words, is there somebody else who can corroborate what you're saying, or is this just you saying this? And he says, that's, that's there. That's in the law. Look it up. You guys hold to this. And he says, but I'll tell you, that is the case here too. Even if that's what we're going by, that is the case. It's like, what I say is true, whether anybody else agrees with me or not. It is the case. It is true. But just so you know, there is another one who testifies, and that is my father. And then they ask him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. This is one of uh, the things, one of the themes we see throughout the book of John, that just over and over again, Jesus is saying, you know, I only do what I see my father doing. What I say is what my father tells me. I and the Father are one. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. This total connection between Father and Son. And so uh, when he says, my Father testifies, go, well, where does he do that? Can we think of anywhere that God the Father uh, has testified about Jesus as being someone maybe we ought to listen to? If you go to Mark chapter 1, you'll see that uh, at Jesus' baptism, we have this voice from the heavens. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. You have the same kind of thing in Mark chapter 9 when Jesus goes up with his disciples uh, on the mountain and is transfigured before them. And then a cloud envelops them, and then you hear this voice. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Uh, so there are those kinds of kind of heaven-peeled-back moments where God says, this is my son, that he is testifying about him verbally uh, in this way. But another way to look at it, the testimony of uh, God, is to see that what Jesus is doing is consistent with who God is and what he's been doing. That when Jesus raises someone uh, from the dead, you go, that's something that comes from God. God is testifying to him even in that act. We'll see this, of course, most of all with the resurrection of Jesus himself. But even before we get there, you have the whole of the Old Testament. That if you're looking at the whole of the Old Testament as the word of God, and then you can actually start making those connections and seeing how uh, everything that has come from there has all been pointing, to, converging at one point, and that point is the person of Jesus. And we see the way that all these things have been pointing to him, then we say, okay, then as we look back, yeah. The Father has been testifying about Jesus from the beginning. And we take the whole thing as testimony about who he is and what he's doing. And these Pharisees that Jesus is talking about are people who know this stuff really well. And he's like, you should be able to make these connections. You should be able to see uh, how my father has been testifying about 
me. And the ways these all come together. But this is then where we get to uh, the final thing that I was going to say earlier about, um, about vision. And so there are several things that are required for vision to take place. You have to have working eyes and all the connections there. You have to have light in order to be able to see. And your eyes have to be open. And what it, the way this reads to me in this conversation with the Pharisees is there is light right before them and they have eyes that maybe are working, maybe are not. We don't know because it seems like they've just got their eyes closed so tight, refusing to see what is right in front of them. And just as I was saying earlier how thankful I am for eyesight and for vision, what a shame it would be for someone to have this gift of sight and refuse to use it. Have you ever tried doing things blindfolded? Or just with your eyes closed and go about normal tasks? A couple weeks ago at D Now, we actually played some games with blindfolds. It is hilarious. We're so used to doing things where we can see that even when you have your eyes closed, what you're trying to do is picture what it would look like if your eyes were open, just in order to do that. If you were to try to go through an entire normal day with a blindfold on, I think... I suspect you would find much of it quite difficult. And in fact, would probably run into stuff all over the place. What Jesus is saying is open your eyes, recognize that I am the light of the world, and that I have not come so that you would kind of continue bumping your way through everything. I've come to reveal how things really are so you don't have to keep bumping into everything but to reveal what reality is so that you can follow me just like the Israelites followed this pillar of fire. And so he says, I, says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Be thankful for vision physically, but also be thankful for vision spiritually and the ways in which Jesus does reveal reality. And then let us all walk in that light. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you for all that you have given to us. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you have revealed um, reality to us. And God, we confess that 
We've often been like stubborn children with our eyes uh, squished shut, refusing to see what you have put before us. God, we do pray that you would open our eyes. God, that we would see more clearly who you are, that we would see more clearly who we are, that we would see more clearly the way of Jesus. as different than our own way, as different than the ways of the world. God, we pray that by your Spirit you would encourage us and strengthen us to follow where you are leading, to follow in your way. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Forgive our debtors. Please not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.